Welcome to I Love Rock and Roll with your hosts, uh, Ken Krantz and Chip Chantry. And we have uh, we have a guest this week. We have the legendary Rich Voss. Thank you. Do you never, is this, do you don't not usually have a guest or? We, this is, so this is the third episode we've recorded. We did one with just us and we had a guest last week talking about uh, the Beach Boys and Charles Manson. Who was your guest last week? A comic? A comic. You're not allowed to say his name. as something. <laughs> Max Antonucci. He did it. He did it. Max Antonucci. I didn't say his name because I knew you were going to be like, who? He's he's a Jersey comic, but he's out in L.A. now. That's his on his resume. His first thing is who? <laughs> who? You may not have seen him in. You know who? He, you know that that movie that we shot with Bonnie? He was he was the waiter that got fired. Were you there? Were you there that night? I don't I don't remember. I've done so many feature films. Uh, real quick. Why do people say the Beach Boys change music and that one album is so great? Uh, what's the Beach Boy album? Pet Sounds. Yeah, that that. Uh, was you know kind of like the protege of music or some type of like i don't get the whole beach boy thing maybe i you know missing i just don't know i just don't understand it can you explain it they were uh the brian wilson was like um a, a genius composer of of music and and the harmonies that they did were were next level um wasn't the four seasons doing harmonies like that before them yeah the four seasons and i think like the letterman and all those and that and he yeah. wanted to make that sort of almost like a not doo-wop but like that boy group kind of thing into more of like a rock situation and then they really got in with the, the beatles too because like the beatles you know obviously were the big thing and and they sort of had this friendly rivalry back and forth of like who could make the, the better album and like they inspired each other so i think that gave them a lot of cred where the beach boy the Be the beatles really uh respected the beach boys and the, that that Brian Wilson, that mutual respect really went went a long yeah. way, I think. Yeah, they were big fans of the Beach Boys, I read. Yes. Uh, yeah. I, mean, I, uh -huh. I think they were also of that era that they were like one of the first to really start experimenting in the studio, like really using the studio to make records instead oh, of... I thought you meant blowing each other. <laughs> There's a little bit of that. It was California in the same Come on. Uh, and today's topic is what the New York Dolls. The New York Dolls. And you're you're uh, you and I have uh, worked together many times, and we and we've talked music a lot. You're literally the only person I know that has seen the New York Dolls in their original lineup in their heyday in the early seventies. Well, I saw the New York Dolls. And uh, it was a Halloween costume concert at the Waldorf Astoria in New York. Mm -hmm. So we get there. We didn't have costumes. Me and myself and two friends went from New Jersey, Mike and Martin. These are the best costumes you've ever seen. Gay, gay guys, which the dolls uh, had a gigantic gay fan base. On Halloween, it's like 
you know, the dolls and Halloween. It's like true holidays <laughs> for the gay community. So these costumes, I mean, there was one guy, you don't remember it, but his whole face was plaid, like a jacket, clothes, pants, hands. And they used to have these things called plaid stamps. When you, uh, probably before you were born, parents used to go to the supermarket and get either plaid stamps or SNH green stamps. And they'd fill these books and get whatever. So this guy was a plaid stamp. And I mean, the costumes were amazing. So we're at the wall of Astoria trying to go in. And then they closed the door, these big glass doors to the ballroom or to get into the Waldorf uh, area where the concert was. I Yeah, the ballroom. And so we're not letting more people in, even people with tickets. So these gay guys started chant, chanting uh, violence is the only way to accomplishment. And they smashed the doors down. And everybody just went in. I mean, I had tickets anyhow. So now uh, we, we took blotter acid. And it was in the ballroom. And we were on like the first or second table. But we're standing on the table, around ballroom table. And we're up there. And the place, I mean, it's wild. It's the fucking New York Dolls Halloween. So they started doing a song. And... Not David Johansson. I think it was uh, uh, Sylvain, Sylvain, whatever his name was. Had a machine gun that shot light that was connected to the snare drum. Every time they hit the snare drum, the light would shoot out of the machine. And we're sitting there and we're tripping our fucking brains out. And we're getting shot with this light. <laughs> you know, we're just out of our fucking mind. And uh, then we leave the concert. And we're walking around New York looking for my friend's mother's car. And we couldn't find a car anywhere. We're all fucked up. We go to a cop where's our car. And he goes, oh, it was probably impounded. So we thought he meant compounded, like crushed. (laughs) Like this big, you know, oh, my God, what are you going to tell your mother? That her car is a paperweight. <laughs> we're walking around New York all fucking depressed. And then we see the car. It was like fireworks were coming out. And, and we drove home. But it was one of the wildest concerts. Back then, you know, that's all we do was go to concerts. Yes, I had, I had fourth row for The Who, you know, a year after Quadrophenia came out uh, at the Spectrum. I had uh, 16th row at the Garden for The Who. You know, then if you wanted to go to a concert, I would go to Bamberger's, which turned into Macy's, get there early in the morning, stand online and get my ticket at Ticketron. You know, I'd be the first online. I remember when I got tickets for the Who, I was first. You know, we saw everybody. Yes. Uh, you know, Earth, Wind, and Fire, you, you name it. Springsteen, all of them. Elton John, Bowie, fucking great. I, I I can't remember if I saw Queen or not. I think I did. Uh the Ramones, I don't know how many times I saw the fucking Ramones, Southside Johnny, whatever. So the Dolls was one of the most memorable concerts ever, just from beginning to end with the costumes, you know, at the Waldorf Astoria. The Dolls were playing there, a fucking CBGB band from down on the Lower East Side, you know, some fucking, you know, punk rock band, and they're playing at the Waldorf Astoria. You know, it's, it, you know. It, it, how do you think that happened? Is that like, that just doesn't seem to make sense. So they, how, how do you well, think they got that room? I, I, they probably, 
you know, for Walter, rented it themselves, obviously. I'm sure the Waldorf story didn't put on a concert on Halloween going, hey, who can we get? You know, <laughs> yeah. fucking Lawrence Welk or Tony Bennett. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, you know, and, and, I, and I looked this up today because I always said, and I wasn't, you know, I don't know every doll. So, you know, you know, personality crisis. You just remember the dolls. Right. Coming out dressed in drag on roller skates sometimes or whatever. But the dolls were out before Kiss. The dolls came out in 71. So, Kiss came out in 73. Very interesting that you mentioned that. Um, and then, go ahead. Because uh, the dolls shared a rehearsal space with this band called Shaker. And this band Shaker was a rock band that was going nowhere. And they dressed in denim and the lead singer dressed in a cowboy hat and they played rock songs. And then they shared this rehearsal space with the dolls and the dolls are playing in drag and they're playing like in gay bathhouses. And there's this immediate buzz and hype only in New York surrounding the dolls. They, they become very, uh, very big almost overnight in New York. And this band Shaker is watching what's going on and they scrap their whole image and they start dressing in outrageous outfits and makeup and they change their name to kiss. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I always thought they got that from the dolls. I mean, the dolls were, the first punk rock band. I mean, they were before, I think, uh, Johnny Rotten, Sid Vicious, all of them. They inspired all those guys. Yeah. The Dolls were the first. You know, the Ramones were punk rock, rock, you know. They weren't as fucking, as punk as, as the Dolls were. You know, I remember when punk first came, you know, came out and there was, you know, real punk and then there was, you know, like fucking uh spencer gifts punk you know with your checkered shirt and your skinny tie which was almost the skinny tie was more rockabilly than punk but you know you know the real punk people the real punk people even though the dolls pretty much were one of the first or probably the first were really in london i mean those were fucking that was real fucking punk that's, you know and i wasn't a big punk rock person i just like music or bands you know uh, I, I opened for, uh, uh, David Johansson when he was Buster Poindexter, it was either at the fast lane or stone pony. It was one of the two in Ashbury park. He had that. And I was probably doing comedy three years. I stunk. Uh, you know, he had that one hit hot, 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 you know, the punk, the dolls had probably one semi hit was personality crisis. I mean, it's not like, they were off the charts. They were an underground fucking band. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, I, I don't, I'm, I would have to be 90% sure they never played the garden no. or, or, you know, a, a place that they couldn't fill the garden, no. you know, uh, that place would have smelled like fucking, uh, poppers, whatever the, uh, <laughs> I don't know what it's called. They're called the main, whatever. Uh, you know, so I mean, and it's like, I guess with any fucking band, I mean, you know, the Stones, Mick Jagger fucking is the Stones. You say the Stones, but you really, it's Mick Jagger, then Keith Richards, you know, maybe Ronnie Wood. I don't know. But it's really the front man. Yeah. David Johansson was the Dolls. You know, he pretty much, to me, was, in, you know what I'm saying? They would come out, but 
you're like you you probably couldn't name the fucking drummer if, if, if you know if somebody paid you uh or johnny so, johnny thunders is uh johnny thunders got pretty well known you know uh, the the lead guitar player was but he was known after the dolls yeah you know during the dolls you know well the the dolls it's funny because the dolls rem- I actually saw, see a lot of parallels between them and um, what happens with some comics. Um, they self-sabotage themselves at, at almost every turn. Like every big opportunity that came their way, they blew. Like it was almost like they were afraid of success. There was also some things that were beyond their control. But... Um, they would you never knew what you were getting you never knew if you were getting a band that was way too drunk to to play i was watching a documentary on them the bass player arthur kane one night um he like uh they had a show that was essentially an audition for different record labels and they they were always just on the cusp of getting signed there was always so much buzz around them and they have this audition and Arthur Kane doesn't realize his bass isn't plugged in. And he, he goes four songs w- w- without being plugged in and there being no bass. And they don't even realize how shitty they sound. <laughs> or, or they would come on four hours late when there's people from Atlantic Records there to see them. You know, they, there was, was it, there uh, was another time where he uh, where Kane just they they finished the song walked off stage the show was over and he just kept playing for a few minutes he didn't realize the song was over he was so fucked up that he just kept playing for like three or four minutes so the band just decided well i guess we'll just go back on and they <laughs> joined him again to play and he didn't even realize were they i mean were they on were they heroin addicts or just fucking they dope? they started um they started, I think, like back in the 70s, it was just a lot of uh, drinking and, you know, like pills, uppers and downers. They didn't they didn't get into heroin until they, they went out to L.A. Uh, at some point after the first album and Iggy Pop turned Johnny Thunders onto heroin. And then that was sort of... Um, that heroin was was definitely their downfall because then Johnny Thunders turned the drummer Jerry Nolan onto it and and they became pretty serious junkies pretty quickly. Is that is that Scorsese made a documentary or is making one on? Is that the one you're talking about? On, no, on he, he's it's, that's the thing. There's so many great personalities and he's making one on David Johansson. Yeah, there is a fantastic documentary about Arthur Kane out called New York Doll. There's uh, they have a Johnny Thunders documentary out called Looking for Johnny. Sylvain Sylvain just died. I got to imagine his won't be far behind. But didn't they do they make one on the whole band? Um, I there's like some fan made ones, but I haven't seen I haven't seen an official one. Is that oh. what Scorsese's doing? Is he doing a? He's doing one on. He's, da- he's doing, doing David Johansson, yeah. but I'm yeah, sure but he's that's going to have to put the dollars. Yeah, it's going to be mm-hmm. most of it. I would imagine. Yeah. You know, if you go online, you could see that concert at the Waldorf Astoria. Some of it on YouTube. Uh, I mean, he was a good David Johansson was a good actor too. I mean, he was in that movie Let It Ride. Mm-hmm. Was Richard Dreyfus. Yeah. Dreyfus, Terry Gar than him. He know. was great in um, Scrooge. Scrooge. You know, it's so weird because I watched uh, 
a movie the other night again, uh, The Book of Eli, and Tom Waits was in it. And Tom Waits is the same kind of uh, genre. Yeah. Yeah. Only more famous and more talented. But, uh, you know, and a heroin addict. And, you know, just your fucking stay at the, you know, Chelsea fucking hotel and live in a room and shoot dope and do New York fucking, you know, underground fucking shows. But they they are both. And really, Tom Waits is a, a great character actor. Mm-hmm. You know, Tom Waits was in, uh, uh, what was the movie with Pony Boy? Uh, oh, The Outsiders. He was good. At, good at that. Yeah. He just opened, he was, he was the uh, security guard at the door. Yeah. Tom Waits was in The Outsiders? Yeah. He, yeah, it was just, just for a scene, but he, I don't he was remember fucking that. great. Yeah. yeah. He was also in, uh, there was two, two, he was either in Barfly or, no, he was in Ironweed with Meryl Streep uh, about alcoholism. I'm pretty sure it was uh, Ironweed. Uh, so, you know. He also did uh, just recently uh, Buster Scruggs, the Ballad of Buster Scruggs for oh, the yeah. Coen Brothers, yeah. and he was great in that. Yeah, yeah. He was by himself for the whole, I think for that whole that whole I'm short. I'm surprised David Johansson didn't do more movies. You know, I mean, and he was a great character in Let It Ride. I didn't see Scrooge, but I heard it was you know he was good, and I'm surprised he didn't get. I mean, he got all. I saw them on their reunion tour in Baltimore. Yeah. Uh, we had free passes and I brought Bonnie. I started dating Bonnie. We were working in Baltimore and they were, so, you know, I mean, they were fucking old. This yeah. Was, you know, they were like old queens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I mean, it, uh, it almost looked like, you know, they looked into the ark and their faces just started to melt. <laughs> and everybody, that's, you know, you get old and you get old. There's nothing you could do. Chip, what what did what did you say? David Johansson looks like now. Oh yeah, I mean, right now Johansson looks. He looks like Peter Dinklage on HGH. Like that's kind of what his. <laughs> that's his vibe. Were those but now, huh? are they still like? Are were they? How were how were those later shows that they they did more recently? Were they still doing it? Or I mean, obviously it's not going to be the same as the early seventies. Yeah, I mean, well, when I look. I saw Alan John a year ago on his farewell tour. And it was nothing like when I saw him in 77 when he was at the top of his game. It's, yeah. His, his voice is just, you know, the show is great, you know, but you're watching someone who's losing their voice, you know, they can't move as much. Although I, I hosted a show and Steven Tyler was on it. He was back and forth on the stage like it was fucking, like he was 25. Uh and the dolls, the reunion thing, it was outdoors at a st- at some stadium. It could have been uh, a Baltimore. No, I, I don't know. It was somewhere outdoors. So when you're at an outdoor event, it's hot. You're barely even listening to the fucking band. You know, unless you're right up front, yeah. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. You're, just, yeah. you're just taking in everything that's around you. And, and then you're going, when, when the fuck can we get out of here? We're old. They're old. <laughs> Let's go back to the hotel and take a nap before the show. Uh, you know, uh, but you know, it's so weird. And comedy's different. Like when you started a genre in comedy, like you know, like a Stephen Wright, and then you get, you know, well, even a Woody Allen, then you get a Richard Lewis, and you get 
you know, a derivative like a, maybe a Stephen Wright or Larry David, you know, whatever. You know, all these people, usually the person that started that genre becomes famous. They're, they're big acts. You know, you could take Stephen Wright, big act. You could take Mitch Hedberg, who could, Mitch Hedberg could be like a Stephen Wright, but Mitch Hedberg uh, was, it wasn't his material that, to me, that made him famous. It was his persona, his beatnik type character, his cadence, his delivery, you know, and his material. But uh, if he didn't have that cadence and that delivery, you know, so the dolls, you would have thought if they weren't self-sabotaging, would have been at least as big as the Ramones. Yeah, it's they were um, probably there's I'm hard pressed to think of too many more influential bands like they just came out at the wrong time. Um, they were years ahead of their time and it, the music itself, their image was was dangerous because they came out of that, you know, early 70s New York City, like when Times Square was still really dangerous. And yeah. people are like nostalgic for that now for some reason. But um, the the dolls, their image, they looked scary, but if you listen to the music, it was really just kind of sped up girl bands. Like their biggest influences were like the Ronettes and the Shangri La's. Uh-huh. A lot of the cover songs they did were like novelty hits in the fifties. If you just listen to the music now, it's it's great, but it's harmless. Um, but they they were just in that era where where they they the image projected some kind of danger. But they um. They were big in New York and they, you know, people would come to see them from record companies. They would dance. They would have a great time at the concerts. And then they would say, well, there's like, we can't sign them. There's there. We, we don't know what, what to do with them. It's so weird. I, I did the first festival. I did the Aspen Comedy Festival and I was on fire. I was like, there was like three comics they were talking about up there. I think it was me, Tony Woods and Billy Gardell. And I would have guys, I had the head of Dizzy come up to me, he was, man, you're fucking great. I don't know what to do with you. You know, uh, show business executives are not the most brilliant people in the world. <laughs> They're not. I don't know what to do with you. I don't fucking know. I'm a comic, funny, whatever, you know. And they're not, see, I mean, there's some marketing geniuses. Like, look at Springsteen. Uh, Springsteen's either publicist or management. Like I saw Springsteen, you know, we're sitting on my friend's front porch and we go, what, what do you guys want to do today? We go, some bands playing behind Kane College, free beer and hot dogs. I don't know, let's go. And it was Springsteen. So maybe it was a hundred people, 75. You could walk up to the stage, you know, what drink. I go, these guys are pretty fucking good, right? So this was probably two years before they hit because they did that they did it was outdoor concerts in central park for free the outdoor and Springsteen. but they're either publicists record company push springsteen you know got them to cover of time mag it was all a big push yeah you know this fucking jersey short you know uh you know Southside johnny could have almost been that fucking big if they had that push and just kept writing new material you know, I mean, I mean, the Southside Johnny was a great fucking band. It's just the push 
that they had, you know, and no one, I guess, knew how to push the dolls. I mean, what the they fuck? they were given they were given a lot of opportunities. They so they they left New York sometime in the early seventies. They go over to London because it's like you mentioned before. It's like that's where you had to go to to get appreciated, um, and. They do this show, the old gray whistle test. They're on, they're on TV. And, um, the host was, uh, not impressed with them. You know, he was like, you got to remember like rock and roll back then. It was getting very bloated and self indulgent. And there was a lot of, um, prog rock, drum solos, 20 minute drum solos. And even, even the rock bands like Zeppelin and Rolling in the Stone, like they were, they weren't accessible, you know, like they were flying on private jets. Like you, there was a, there was a disconnect. When the dolls came to London, they do this old gray whistle test and they're dressed in drag and, and they're playing these sloppy songs. And the host even kind of makes fun of them. You know, he calls them mock rock like they're not even the real deal. But what happens is thousands and thousands of teenagers are watching that night. And it inspires all of them where they say like, hey, this was the first band that it looked like, OK, like they, they dressed outrageous, but they couldn't really play. You know, they, they weren't masterful uh, musicians. So I think it gave a lot of people the idea like, hey, maybe we can do this. So people that watched them that night, um, Joe Strummer, Mick Jones from The Clash. Uh, members of the Damned, members of Big Audio Dynamite, um, Morrissey, Morrissey. Yeah, it's it's all of these all of these kids saw what was happening and were like, this this was the first band that made them think, hey, we can do that. You don't have to be some like you you don't have to be Jimmy Page. You can just pick up an instrument and do this. And and they literally inspired a generation of uh, of of bands. And and then you look at the way they dressed. Um, every MTV hair metal band in the eighties, all they uh -huh. did was, was copy what the dolls did and it worked for them. The dolls were just a decade too soon. Yeah. Twisted sister was almost kind of like used to, and I don't remember their songs. I remember they used to play at bars around Jersey, but they had that big fucking hair and the makeup and. Twisted Ooh, Sister, Poison, Motley Crue, Cinderella, like every one of those bands. Yeah, Can you imagine being like Arthur Kane just sitting there in 83 watching Motley Crue on MTV, just making millions off of basically just off of his back? Yeah. Was Who was the lead singer of Twisted? Was that D. Snyder? D. Snyder. D. Snyder. And how, I mean, they. I don't know how big they got Twisted Sister. They were nationally known, right? They mm -hmm. were. Well, they yeah, they M MTV. You know, they came out at the right time. The MTV. Yeah, there was a guy. My friend used to have a band. We used to party up in the garage, and at band practice, I was like one of the roadies, and this guy used to come jam with him. Uh, Pat Denizio, that was the lead. I knew Pat. Yeah, from the Smithereens. Smithereens. And he used to come. You know, Pat was I. Last time I talked to him before he passed, he wanted to do what I, I think he started doing a one man show in Vegas. I don't know what it was, but he wanted me to help him write it. 
I somehow it wasn't anyhow it didn't but I think he did start doing it and then I don't know what he died from but he he uh, was he was a mess health wise he was a mess my my brother was friendly with him and, oh yeah um, he was a nice guy he was a nice guy and it was it, this was kind of sad like towards the end of his life he would have to um to make money he would he would do concerts at your house like fans could hide we he he played a private concert in my sister's basement for by himself you mean or yeah by himself with an acoustic guitar and um it was cool like oh my god this is the dude from the smithereens playing my sister's basement but it was also like <laughs> sad like oh my god this is the dude from the smithereens playing my sister's basement sister's basement jake, <laughs> La- jake lamato of music uh <laughs> Did, did were they famous as smithereens were they, they were, were they nationally known or they they got they got big enough they they did they did some tours with some major names i don't think they ever became but oh, yeah. he pat denizio was a really good songwriter too uh yeah i mean i saw bands that opened for other bands that were i mean i think when i saw electric late orchestra i think humble pie opened for them no, it was Black Oak, Arkansas, and they and they kind of got semi big, but there was opening bands back then that were fucking became humongous. Yes, you know, the Who played at Union Catholic High School in Scotch Plains. So did Black Sabbath. You know, before they became the Who or Black Sabbath, you know, I used to play at these dances at Union Catholic, uh, the fucking Who. You know. Uh, it, 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 you know, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know. I think comedy, comedy, comics fucking work until they die. There's no retirement fund with comedy. They don't retire. You know, fucking bands at some point got to go, we can't do this anymore. Yeah. You know? And plus, you know, I was on, on that tour with three comedy. You're on tour with the same people. You know, it's not going to fucking work. Too many different. Well, that's places. true. Yeah, with comics, we just have to put up with ourselves, not three other assholes. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it just you know too many, too much ego, too much you know, uh, different personalities. It just you know, look, the fucking Beatles couldn't handle it. Uh, after how long did the Beatles stay together? Was it? It wasn't that long. It was, I don't even it was think it was a decade. decade. It was, yeah, it was like a seven yeah. or eight year period. Yeah, you know. 62 to 70-ish, yeah. Was it because of Lennon and Yoko they split up, you think? Or? I don't think, I know that's what everybody kind of blames Yoko, but it sounds, I I, I, I mean, what what do I know? But I, I think there was already problem. I think once you get that big, the egos just become kind of unmanageable. You know, and everybody's telling them they can do their own solo stuff. They can all be brilliant, which, of course, they basically all did. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so you can't you can't keep that lighting in a bottle too long. Uh, yeah, I mean, fucking George Harrison, the Bangladesh concert was fucking amazing. You know, yeah, uh, my uncle used to have that vinyl. I remember it was like a, it was like a triple album or something. Yeah, I got it. Yeah, you can, you can get that album. That's not that hard. Uh I don't know, rock and roll. I mean, I just bought, put my stereo system back together and buying albums and, 
you know, uh, some greatest hits you want to get. The live stuff never sounds as good as studio. It's just, I mean, that's not, I'm not a rocket scientist saying that. Uh, but, you know, I, uh, I like the band, you know, and, and I'm listening to the greatest hits. You know, the, my, one of my favorite songs is The Weight, and it, it doesn't sound good. I got a Stones album live. Sounds horrific. Yeah, the Stones notoriously haven't put out good live albums. There's there's one or two I could point you in the direction of that are really good. I, sound, I think, they've got a couple like from small clubs, you know, oh, yeah. where where you where it's just mic'd correctly. But yeah, the, the Stones are um their live albums are usually hit or miss, leaning towards miss. I was a fan of the Dave Clark Five back when the Beatles came out. Uh, they're fucking. Uh, they had some great songs. I mean, they were when they were on Ed Sullivan. They were. It was almost as big as when the Beatles were on Ed Sullivan. Those fucking bands from England would come over, but when the Dave Clark Five was on, it was like, oh shit, this is like the fucking Beatles. They're on Ed Sullivan tonight, you know. And I, I used to watch fucking comics on the Alan King fucking great you know uh i think steve landisberg but the bands uh you know if you were doing Sullivan, it was like doing fucking carson you know if you did at sullivan i mean because it was three fucking TV yeah that's stages. back when there was like two channels yeah there was yeah. three channels two four seven and sometimes five uh depends how good your antenna was if you got nine or eleven and, you know, they would just, you know, it was the whole fucking country would just Sunday night watch Ed Sullivan. And, you know, when the fucking Beatles came out, there was a comic. To, it was a comedy team or a comic. It was a comedy team that had to go on before the Beatles. <laughs> and it was the biggest nightmare. They just fucked. And it was a comedy team, I think, a husband and wife. And those kids were screaming, you know. They don't want to hear fucking who puts two a comedy team, a husband and wife before the Beatles. I gotta look that up, find out who. It's not how to be the end of their career. A husband and wife comedy team just in general sounds horrendous. I wonder if yes. it's on let me see if it's on here. Uh that's that's hilarious. Uh uh wait, I guess I would put opening act for Beatles on the uh uh opening act. Beatles, Ed Sullivan. I don't know how to find it. I, I'm pretty sure Ed Sullivan. Uh, Ed Sullivan always looked like an old person. <laughs> no charisma either. Like, just had no business doing what he was doing, and he was beloved for years. Yeah, I mean, did he look like an old guy the whole time? Yeah. yeah. You could just put anybody on TV back then. Who on Sullivan? No, just any like like it didn't matter what you look like back then. There there weren't that many TV jobs, so it was like they just put anybody on. I feel like, yeah, and uh, yeah. I mean, Joan Rivers did fucking Carson like four or five years into comedy. You know, she did Carson, and there wasn't a lot of female comics, and she you know she got on. I read all of her books when I used to read, and. Yeah, and and uh, you're right. They didn't, it was easy to get on TV, and 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 you realize 
we've done about 40 minutes. You really can't talk about the New York Dolls for now. <laughs> there isn't an hour of fucking New York. Even if we had fucking David Joe Hansen on here, it would only probably last 50 minutes. Because, <laughs> you know, how much can you say? Okay, they started, they fucked up, they did heroin, and they hung up their roller skates. They, uh, they, um, it's it's crazy though how close they got like you see this with comics how close they came to breaking big so many times you're talking to one yeah (laughs) (laughs) i mean it's happened multiple times to you but they um when they so when they're when they're in london like a, a bidding war began between record labels to the point where they i thought you said they ate it on tv um the, well, the host, the host thought that they ate it. What, what he didn't he realize. Sco- yeah. Scoffed at them, yeah. but not realizing that all the kids watching at home. Not realizing that everybody at home watching was now like, okay, this is our band. And um, a bidding war begins to the point where they've got, they've got management, but they don't have a record label yet. So, so um, a bidding war begins in London and management turns some of the offers down because he's they're waiting to see what the biggest one that comes in will be and then literally the night that they're getting ready to sign i want to say with mercury like a big label and um the drummer a 21 year old kid named billy mercia hooks up with a couple of groupies and goes back to like an apartment and gets fucked up on pills and uh, gets too drunk and um, he starts throwing up or something and they don't know what to do with him. They throw him in a bathtub filled with ice cold water and then they pour hot coffee down his throat trying to wake him up and he, he, he like regurgitates and chokes on his own vomit and dies like literally the night that they were supposed to sign. Um, the drummer in London, tw- in, in London, yeah. 21 year old drummer dies. And now all the record labels back off because now be- because it was I think it was reported as an overdose. I don't know if it exactly was an overdose or if he just kind of drank too much and choked or something. The the, the details are pretty murky. Um uh-huh. But literally, the the night that they're supposed to sign this big contract, they uh, the drummer dies, and every record label rescinds their offer, thinking that these guys are too dangerous and nobody wants to be involved with. They, I think, they were pegged as junkies, even though they weren't yet at that point. Well, the good thing is, if you're puking like that, and you're at least you're in the bathtub, you know, you don't want to do it in the living room. <laughs> You know, yeah, <laughs> and when you know, and when you die, you get your deposit back. Yeah. Uh, so then they were done after that completely, or no, they- no. So then, so the record labels all rescind their offers. They fly back to New York to kind of lick their wounds. They start auditioning new drummers. They get this guy Jerry Nolan, who I think musically is an even better drummer, um, but he. He ends up being Johnny Thunder's like heroin buddy, so he he ends up being a pretty bad influence on on the rest of the group. And um, they went back to New York. They 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 did a string of shows at Max's Kansas City. They were always playing for like two hundred people. 
then they flew out to LA to to do a bunch of shows that eventually they get a record deal like a two record deal but it, it wasn't it was like a twenty five thousand dollar advance on a two record on, on a two record deal like they were looking at like a half a million dollars with the original offer yeah and um that record came out and, and they had that album cover with all of them in drag on the couch and i think it scared the shit out of everybody other than other than the people in New York, everybody like people in the Midwest, they they don't know what the New York underground scene is like. I th- I literally think they j- it just scared the shit out of everybody. So it got it got no support. I don't even think it charted. Like they don't, I don't think they ever had a song yeah. that charted or. I don't think it's scared. I think it's more of a anti gay or yeah they they were perceived as gay and they weren't at all they weren't scared of them they just didn't accept them you know they weren't ready to accept you know you know i mean there were people that didn't accept elvis presley because he fucking moved his hips (laughs) didn't didn't they have to shoot him from the waist up on uh on, on sullivan yeah, and when you say the one guy was a bad influence, when it comes to drugs, there's no such thing as an influence. People have their own minds. They're either yes or no. Just because, you know, it, that, that guy didn't have, that guy might have had the heroin, but a guy down the block or in the audience had heroin too. So, you know, uh, no, no one twists anybody's arms to do anything. Uh, you know, that's a whole, he was just, you know, ahead of his time when it came to fucking drug use than the other guys were. You know, <laughs> yeah. You know, they're fucking around with quaaludes. He's like, fuck this pussy shit. You know, let me uh, strap up. Uh, whatever. But I'm sure, you know, they were playing CBGBs a lot and uh, those fucking places down in the Lower East Side. What people don't realize is there wasn't much of a music scene in New York, which is hard to believe. But back in the early 70s, there wasn't there was a little bit of an underground scene. Uh, The Velvet Underground sort of started the whole scene and they broke up pretty quickly. And then the dolls were sort of anointed as the new the, you know, like the new darlings of the underground and, and everyone just started gravitating towards the dolls. And then all these other bands, the Ramones, Blondie, Talking Heads, Television, they all started seeing the dolls. And again, thinking like they make this look easy, like we can pick up instruments and do this ourselves. So all of that New York, all, all of the New York CBGB bands, um, they all they all formed after after seeing the dolls. Well, there was a big music scene in 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 the sixties, early seventies in the village for you know like the Bob Dylan, right? Like folk, original, uh, you know, folk rock or folk or you know, I mean, uh, Bitter End, the Village Gate, Cafe Wa, you know, fucking and Hendrix would play in some of these places, Pryor and Dylan. So there was that scene in that little area down in the village, but the Lower East Side was the, I guess the, the punk rock fucking area, and it wasn't like as condensed with 
uh, nightclubs like the fucking village was. Right. You know, if you were in the village and you were, you know, someone like Dylan, you could go from the bitter end and go right across the street to the village gate and go right around the corner to Cafe Wa. They were all within three blocks, you know, and there was so many, a lot of places down there. So that's why that type of music grew and, 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 and the comics and the got more, got more famous down there because just like they could, you know, just like comics from New York or LA or Boston have more places to work. So they're going to grow faster than some comic in Minnesota, you know, yeah. there's just more places to, to, to work, whatever. Velvet Underground wasn't that, uh, uh, Lou Reed and Nico. Wasn't that, you know, wasn't that what Andy Warhol draw, drew the yeah, bananas? Yeah, that was bananas. That was now who's who was first, them or Andy Warhol's drawing? It was Velvet Underground, right? And he drew their like I don't understand. I think he brought them together. Like yes. I think the Velvet Underground was kind of like Andy Warhol's project. Yeah, like he he became. Brought, like, I don't know if he picked everybody, but he sort of brought together because he brought what's her name, Nico or whatever the the Nico. model who was a singer. Yeah, and brought them together and was sort of just like a project. And then they were an offshoot band of that. Oh, oh. that whole Andy Warhol scene and all those fucking, you know, fucking major celebrities and. If, you know, you see these movies. I don't know who played. I saw a good movie with Andy about Andy Warhol. I think Bowie was in. Bowie played Andy Warhol in a movie, yeah. but now I can't remember what movie. He was so fucking good, Bowie. He yeah, so fucking good, and he always reinvented himself. He fucking Ziggy Star Spiders from Mars. Ziggy Stars was such a good fucking album, you know. Uh, he was fucking just, Hey, you ever see driving into New York, the whole side of that building by the Holland tunnel is Bowie's mm -hmm. picture. That's so fucking cool. Yes. But the, the owner landlord did that. Bowie used to, um, there was an article, uh, what's that, what's that magazine in, in London NME new, new musical express. Yeah. I think they sent a reporter to cover the New York Dolls, there there was there was some buzz coming out of New York, and they sent a reporter over who wrote this glowing article. He went to a bunch of their shows and wrote this glowing article, and then it hit it hit back you know it hit back home in London. And Bowie, after reading this article, flies out to New York to to check them out. And Bowie was already doing like some of the androgynous stuff. But when he saw them, um, he would uh, he would wait for them after the show and pick their brains about costumes like they influenced Bowie. Bowie went yeah. even Bowie went even more glam after yeah. after meeting with them. Um, and then there's even uh, on the album Aladdin Sane, the song Watch That Man was was written about the dolls. And they uh, he's got this classic song called Time. Where he even uh, references uh, Billy Mercia's death, where he talks about time. I think he says demanding Billy dolls and other friends uh -huh. of mine, like talking about the the friends he'd had that he'd lost. They um, their in, their influence was maybe more widespread than than at, at least you know in in America. I I I'm, I can't think of too many other American bands with this much influence. 
Yeah, I mean, look at yeah, look at Elton John with the costumes, and uh, I didn't know Bowie uh, got some of that uh, from them. I mean, yeah, they were the first to do that shit. They were the first. You know, nobody was fucking coming out dressed like they're going to a fucking Halloween show. I don't even know if they were gay. Who knows? The, I, they weren't. I, like they, 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 yeah, they, they would, they would, uh, they banged a lot of groupies. It sounds like Johnny Thunder's gotten some trouble for, uh, I think banging underage groupies. I, I was reading today that, um, the improvs will still use them. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> um, his new podcast is great. <laughs> <laughs> They would, uh, when they went out to LA, there were moms pushing their teenage daughters on the dolls. Like there were moms trying to get their daughters to hook up with them. <laughs> really? Yes. That's how I did my first open mic. I never told you that. I was just <laughs> pushing me in a wig. And I was like, all right, I'll do this. Oh. Uh, by the way, uh, do you guys know the names Charlie Brill and Mitzi McCall? Does, does that sound familiar at all? No. Nope. Uh, I just looked it up. That is the married couple who had to follow the Beatles. <laughs> the night of, they didn't follow yeah. them. They were on before. The, the open, yeah. Uh, yeah. Char Charlie Brill and Mitzi McCall. Uh, that's that's who apparently they were. That's that's amazing. Was that was that the first Beatles that? appearance? I think so. So I mean, that was so they didn't even know what they were getting into i'm assuming because it was that first television appearance that ex that they exploded right yeah well, i think they yeah. should have known what they were getting into when the fucking beatles landed and played shea stadium that was before ed sullivan wasn't it i don't i don't i don't know oh, no, the maybe not. on that i don't know no ed sullivan might have been before yeah the they probably could play shea stadium because of ed sullivan they only be played for 20 something minutes when they did shea stadium yes yeah, if yeah. you've ever seen or heard the recording of it, it's it's unlistenable. It's horrendous. Yeah, they, the audience because the audience is going so wild, you literally can't hear the band. Uh, wow. By the way, speaking of uh, following people and uh, being a tough act to follow or whatever, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think that all three of us did that that telethon that uh, what was it, Mark uh, Rickadonna at that. that three day thing. Uh, I did it on like a Sunday in the middle of the day and you know, I'm ready to go on. I haven't done a lot of stand up, obviously just in the last couple of months. So like, I'm getting ready. I got some ideas to like, what am I going to say? Just try to be funny. And I turned it on and Voss you're on right before me and you're killing, you're just, you know, you're just throwing hammers and killing. I'm like, shit, I got to follow this. Like, what am I going to do? Like I'm, I'm getting ready. And then you jump off and they bring on a little girl who was like one of the little girls that they helped. <laughs> And she had, and she told the saddest joke, and everybody, and I was like, "Oh, thank Christ, thank God, just the, uh, thank God for this little girl, Jesus." Yeah. It's always fun to follow the sick person. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I was working, I think, in land or somewhere. I went to a late night open mic or show, and the host came out limping with a cane, had a fun, but it was his birthday. And he was getting applauses. And I walk up, I go, look, you can't use both. You go with your fucking birthday or your fucking handicap. You can't use both. <laughs> and the audience fucking hated me. 
Uh, <laughs> I just crashed him. Then Mark Norman went up at the end, and he was their headliner. And he he came after me, but he had the mic. You know, uh, your wife funnier than you. Whoa, whoa, you got me. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey Mark, you got me. Uh, uh, but yeah, you can't use the cane and the birthday. It just it's too many uh, fake applause breaks. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's my birthday, huh? Fuck off. Who gives a fuck? Everybody has one. Uh, these comics stink. Hey, didn't you host uh, Woodstock? Which like nine, 90, 94 or 99? Well, 94, about 40 comics from New York went up and just did small stages around, like these little alternatives. But I hosted 99. And the, uh, there was three stages. The East stage, which was the nightmare. And that was Brother Weiss, a DJ from Rochester, and Tom Papa. Mm-hmm. That was the one, you know, with corn uh, and all the... I, I was, was I was bus. there. Oh, you were? Yeah. Yeah, I was on, I was on the West stage, which was pretty fun at times, 75,000, 150, whatever. And then it was the alternative hangar, uh, you know, where like local, just watching. Matter of fact, in that hangar there, I heard John Entwistle ask some band if he could jam with them, and they said no. <laughs> a good bass player from the fucking pool, you fucking idiots. You know, no to, to fucking to one of the biggest bands. Oh, uh, yeah. So, I mean, there was, I introduced, you know, some bands introduced themselves, some, but I was there for three days hosting this, you know, doing crowd work to the people up front. I had like 50,000 people. I have it on tape somewhere on cassette. I had them all yell, uh, hello to my daughters. Hello, Jessica. Hello, Ellen. I have the whole audience saying that, you know. Uh, hi, Jessica. Hi, Ellen. It's like 50,000 people saying, uh, you know, I did announcements, you know, and there was some big bands. I mean, to me, I even though I had a fight with the lead singer in my dressing room from Buck Cherry, I thought they were fucking great. <laughs> you know, I, we were in this big trailer and the, the bands had like a big part of the trailer. And I had this little room with just a reclining chair. That was it. Where I'd go sit. Or when I came into my room smoking a cigarette, this guy's in there. He goes, can you put that out? I go, fuck off. This is my dressing room. You know, and I go, who the fuck are you? And he walked out. Then he came up and apologized later because he was an ass. But he's the lead singer to Buck Cherry. And uh, that's that's nice of him, at least. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm rehearsing. Fuck off. He had great tattoo work, and I bought their CD, so he won. Uh, <laughs> you, know, when I, you know, I'd stand online. I'd stand online, you know, in a big tent where the food was, you know, being in back or in front of Kid Rock, you know, different taking. Kid, Kid Rock opened his set with a. Um, uh, are you supposed to say little person now? Was like a was like a black little person dressed as Jimi Hendrix with a tiny little guitar, and he played the Star Spangled Banner with his teeth, like the way Jimi Hendrix did, and that was how Kid Rock opened his set. That's the only thing I remember about Kid Rock's set. Yeah, I, I would take the bus over. We were staying at the casino Turning Stone. They just opened, so all the money I made that weekend I blew anyhow. Uh, and I took the band over, the bus over, 
and I'd be with guys, lead singer to, you know, famous guys. And I didn't know who the fuck they were. I go, who are you? He goes, eh, I'm in this band. I go, oh, oh, you guys good? And, you know, <laughs> they were just like big fucking bands back then. The, band, the coolest, I mean, that was cool. Three days. Yeah. The one I did at the Washington Monument, uh, I hosted, it was like a day of drug awareness, you know, to let the fucking politicians in D.C., you know, you know, there was, you know, Dr. Oz spoke, uh, Senator Kennedy from Boston, who's in recovery. You know, I think he's the last Kennedy, uh, you know, and it was uh, Stephen Tyler, Cheryl Crow, a band called The Fray, I think, F-R-E-U, uh, the drummer, uh, who was the drummer from Joe Wall? No. Who was the drummer from The Eagles? Don Henley. No. It was a different drummer that's in recovery, really famous. Oh, uh, I, I could look it up, concert at the, and it was at the Washington Monument, you know, so, and I got to do like a 10 minute set, you know, up front. And there was a lot of people in recovery. So it was, I had material too for that audience, you know, and that was early in the day. Uh, uh, and then I did another set and I brought up bands, but at the end they came out, Steven Tyler and Steven Tyler was just Steven Tyler. It wasn't Aerosmith. And he played all these other songs that he had, you know, I, I don't know if they were country or whatever, but yeah, he, he did a country album, not that long, yeah. a few years ago. Right. Yeah. And, but they came out at the end, all of them. And uh, there was like this, uh, an older black band that, you know, great harmony, and, all, and they all sang Come Together by the Beatles, Sheryl Crow, Steven Tyler, and it fucking killed, you know. Uh, you could bring it up on your thing, uh, concert at the Washington Monument, but there was about probably 10,000 people there. And I think that was kind of, Woodstock was fucking cool. I mean, mm-hmm. fucking posters and pictures. Both of them, I was on big fucking screens, you know. Yeah. And like, there's stuff on YouTube from Woodstock where I did some shit with this guy, Wavy Gravy. Mm-hmm. And was, I don't even know what his deal was. He was a hippie and Ben and Jerry's. He was like a hippie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. And Ben and Jerry's named him ice cream after him. Uh, they were, were you working with other comics on 99, like on that stage? We are at uh, in DC. Woodstock. Yeah. Or, or, Woods, or Woodstock. You said that like Tom Papa was on the one. It was just you. No, they were on the other stage, Tom Pop. Yeah. And, but they, at the other stage where they were on the East, they couldn't go up and do any material, fuck around, because bottles were being thrown at them. You know, that, I, had nothing yeah. thrown, I had nothing thrown at me. Nothing. That, that was the Woodstock yeah. with the, where they, they burned it down at the end. You, 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 could yeah. feel, you could feel it coming. Like, you could sense it. It was... Charging it, six... Yeah, the the they the prices for everything were outrageous. There weren't nearly enough bathrooms. 
It was um, on an old Air Force base, if I remember correctly. Everything was concrete and it was like 110 degrees every single day. It was like they decided to hold a concert on the sun. And Um, yeah. And um, then by the end, they were ripping everybody off. The prices for everything were out. Like, I remember I ordered a grilled cheese and they gave me a hot dog bun with a melted piece of cheese on it. It was like a cheese dog without the hot dog. And they were like, that'll be $9, you know? And then the the final act comes on at the end of the third day, the red hot chili peppers, and they hand everybody like torches and candles. <laughs> and they just were like, fuck it, let's burn the place down. Let's ride. Yeah, we'd, we'd have to do a cleanup then. Yeah, it's easy. That was the East stage. That was the one, not my stage. Yeah. There was no and we were all in bands leaving anyhow seeing these fucking flames, but it was on that big stage. You know, I went backstage there when Cheryl Crow was there too, matter of mm-hmm. fact. Or was it yeah, it was Cheryl Yeah, Cheryl Crow I, was there. Yeah, I went backstage there, uh, you know, just to hang out when she was going on. You know, it's cool when you when you have passes and you can do whatever the fuck you want. You know, yeah. go backstage. I remember at like it's like two in the afternoon and ice tea was supposed to ice cube ice cube was supposed, was supposed to go on and it was like a hundred people and you know at my stage at two in the afternoon he he was here he sat backstage for like almost an hour yeah you know it's going i'm not going to do this and they had to convince him you know what i mean he i was he, i saw ice cube set that day And I I hate to say this because I used to be such a big Ice Cube fan, but like he's so vocal about how much he hates Jews that it's I'm I'm get it's like getting tougher for me to enjoy him. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. But he was um, he was the best act I saw on at all that entire three days. Ice Cube. I'll never forget at the end of his set, he threw his microphone down and said, that'll teach you all to fuck with me. And I was and just walked and stormed off stage. Um, There was nobody in in that fucking area at the West stage. Yeah. Uh, I didn't know he was. How could he be so anti-Jewish if he's in show business? (laughs) He's 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 fairly vocal about it now. Oh, Um, he is. Yeah. So I, uh, yeah, but he was for a long time. He, he was my favorite rapper. I, I watched a, a movie last night. It was a bad movie. Nick Kroll was in. He was pretty good. Uh, when they went into, uh, uh, I forget what country and got Eichelman out. Uh, that was that his name? Eichelman, uh, who ran the concentration camps. He was pretty much the exterminator. Eichmann. Oh. Yeah, Eichmann. Like, oh yeah, Eichmann. And I watched that movie last night. Then uh, Gary Goldman told me there's a good show on HBO about World War Two and stuff. I forget the name. Uh, Some Promises of America, or something America, and about uh, I didn't know Lindbergh ran for president. Did he run for president? I I, th- I don't think he did. I think there was talk. I mean, I'm sure he was at least pushed to because, yeah. I mean, he was so fucking popular. Yeah. But he was very anti-Semitic, too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and you would think with the name Lindbergh. Uh, <laughs> you know, That's crazy. probably why he was anti-Semitic. He kept getting confused for Jew. 
uh, uh, well, you know, this country is so anti-Semitic, but, you know, when you're fucking, uh, you know, in the hospital, ready to have heart surgery, you better pray it's a fucking star David looking down at you. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you're in court ready to face 10 years, you better fucking pray your lawyer says his name is Goldstein. Uh, you know, every time you pick up your fucking iPhone, you better thank a fucking Jew and the technology out of fucking Israel, you know, or, or, or Jews have won more Nobel prizes for medicine per population than any other fucking race or religion. Uh, you know, so if it wasn't for Jews, you'd all have fucking polio. So go fuck yourselves. Well, that's in the New York doll fucking conversation. <laughs> you don't have polio, you motherfuckers. <laughs> All right. Um, on that note, Rich, you got? Do you, you have anything? You have anything you want to plug for the four people listening? Yeah. Why? <laughs> do I want to plug? Yeah. Uh, listen to me, folks. If you're listening to this or watching it. Here's the thing. This is where Ken really fucked up. And a major acting comedy told me this. You only have one favor. You have one favor with somebody. You know what I mean? You know, if I called, you know, Kevin Hart or Billy or Chris, I really have one favor. This is Ken's favor. This is. I told you I didn't want this to be my favor. If, if you were, if you were counting it as the one, I, I told you I'd rather, <laughs> I'd rather cash in something else. I told you you didn't have to do this if it was a favor. Which is, I know I didn't have to. No one. But here's what's sad: you got in your car and drove to a studio to do this. <laughs> ten minutes away. Yeah, ten minutes away. So like a what? major. He asked me if I wanted to come to his studio. Can, can I can I read your can I read your text when I asked yeah. if, it, if, yeah, I if don't remember what I said? I mean, I was pretty sure you didn't want to come to the studio, but I I gave you the option. So I was like, hey, I I, I don't you know I doubt you'll want to come, but you can come to the studio if you don't want to zoom. And then I get back. Yes, would love to come to Eaton Town. Maybe even do some painting or redecorating at the studio. Can I stop on the way and do some shopping for you guys also? Maybe since you're nice enough to let me come on this major podcast, I can help with the rent. Or maybe you can go fuck yourself before even thinking I would come down there. (laughs) I take that as a no. That's what I said. I was like, I'm going to take that as a no. And then you wrote back 100%. Uh, I, uh, this, and Bonnie pointed this out. I didn't point it out. This guy wrote a book about the seller and about comedy. And, you know, so he's interviewing me. And I told him a story when me and Patrice were on Tough Crowd. We fucking really trashed that fan. And I felt bad. So. I emailed that fan on Facebook and I apologized. I go, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have done that. You know, uh, it was just, it wasn't night, whatever. I just apologized. And I told the guy the story, how I was making amends. And the guy's guy goes, how did you contact him? I go through fucking homing pigeon, you fucking moron. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm talking about making amends. 
the bully ring. <laughs> I just called this guy a moron. <laughs> that was right in the book. How did I contact him? Fucking, fucking Morse code. Through a telegram. <laughs> right? I had Kevin Costner delivered on a fucking <laughs> idiot <laughs> oh fuck my fucking weekends canceled I can't believe it I lost so I lost fucking money I was counting on this one uh, whatever I'm fucking pissed Friday and Saturday it's canceled I was supposed to work bananas out of my control but what are you gonna fucking do uh, oh, they shut it down they closed it down I don't know why uh, I think they're renovating. I don't know. But I feel like they probably knew that before you were booked. Yeah, whatever. Uh, listen to me. <laughs> don't ever bother me again. Please. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to bother you again. Who are you getting this year for the uh, Country Club comedy show? Uh, they haven't. Con- I should reach out to them. That was a fun show, right? That was fucking great. <clears throat> More fun than the swingers party we just did. That was horrible. <laughs> horrible. <laughs> that was Chip. We just did. We did a uh, like a, a swingers like convention Saturday really? night. Yes. Well, it wasn't a convention. It was a get together. It was. A, it was a. It just feels weird. like it just felt like it was going to be a big orgy. And yeah. I, I don't understand why they have comedians come like it. We had like no no offense to you guys. But if like I went to a show and was like, here's Ken Krantz and Rich Foss, or you can bang anyone in the crowd. <laughs> I'm not paying attention to either one of you guys. Well, no, they were in the ballroom. I remember I did say this. I can't believe it. I go, uh, ladies, if your stomach's bigger than your tits, you don't want to wear a see-through fucking shirt. <laughs> it was, it was. <laughs> kind of a gross. A couple of people laughed because they knew, but there were some walking messes. Uh, I mean, complete. Look at this yes. fucking mess. Yes. Whatever, whatever couple ends up with them, two people or four are all losers in this fucking swap. <laughs> because was, I, well, I said it was. Um, it was at a Holiday Inn, which should have been your first tip off that maybe this wasn't the the the. Most like top shelf swingers get yeah. together yeah. that you can find, but <laughs> it's like the um, opposite of the Waldorf story. <laughs> I said it was like it was uh, it it was not it it was way less eyes wide shut than eyes clamped shut. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was, and I was surprised that they even listened to me and Ken. Uh, I mean, the host was up there doing his fucking white people, white people. All right, we get it, white people. Uh, you know, and he's having a contest, bringing people on stage to dance and doing every uh, fucking stock line on the planet. And and now your next act, I fucking smashed him, though. Yes. And then I get on stage and he's sitting right behind me in a chair. I go, you got to fuck it the fuck out of here. You're taking away On stage? Well, there was no stage. Was Some, the, uh, like a oh, on the like the, okay, like yeah, the dance yeah. floor. But he sat uh, right. There. Were you in there when I sent you fucking uh, slam? Yes. You know how much attention <laughs> do you need? How much attention do you need people to look at you? You fucking boat act. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was fucking horrible. 
All right. All right. It's a heavy bag. Uh, listen, uh, to the 10 people listening to this, uh, did I seem, seem like I knew what I was talking about? I, yes. I kind of did. I, I'm pretty, yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty intelligent when it comes. I know a little bit about everything. I don't know a lot. Like Ken did research because, you know, uh, you know, he knew a lot about the New York dolls, uh, that even people in the dolls don't even know. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure they would be surprised <laughs> to learn some of this stuff. You no, know, they're all right now after this podcast heading to London to take a fucking bath in ice cubes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Wait, where are you located at, Chip? Is that uh, I'm in Philly. I'm in South Philly. Oh. Yeah. Uh Oh, I did a horrible gig in Ben Salem last night. Uh, oh, really? Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry. Yeah, Ben Ben Salem's. Uh, did you do parks or the no, casino? No, 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 no. no. Yeah. It was a. Uh, I don't know. Some place that had three different rooms, and the room we were in was like a log cabin. Uh, oh Jesus! A bed and breakfast downstairs. I think fucking Huck Finch stayed there. Uh, <laughs> fucking horrific. It was horrific. Uh, and the thing is, I did an hour and 20 minutes. So I, you know, now on stage, all that's left to do is really crowd work because there's no creativity flowing because you're not on stage that much, you know. And, uh, most of my creativity or writing comes from being on stage and I turn it into a bit or whatever. Right. And there's nowhere to do that now. You get on and it's just like, ugh, this is not the same. There's no, it's, there's no vibe. There's no vibe in a comedy room now. Well, well plus just, I, I mean, I don't know the setup, but just like if people are spaced out too because of COVID and everything, like you don't have that energy. So then there's, yeah. you know, so it's, it's hard. It's fucking, it's horrific. You know, this guy, I, I did a guarantee versus door deal and he was going, yeah, this place advertises at St. Patrick's. So I thought a hundred people would be there. He got 20 people in the door. There were good 20 people in the log cabin. You know, and the guarantee was decent. But it was like, what am I fucking doing? I'm in this fucking log cabin talking to 20. I go, I, I was backstage at the Oscars. Twice. <laughs> backstage <laughs> with Cheryl Crow. No, no, this is the Oscars with yeah. Dustin Hoffman talking to Dustin Hoffman. Okay. At the fucking governor's ball with a tuxedo. Having a guy walked up to me with an Oscar in his hand. I was sitting with all the comics, writers, and the guy had an Oscar. He goes, man, you're really funny to me. You know, not Nick DiPaolo, not Bill Sheff, not to, to me. With an Oscar in his hand, in my tuxedo, with my $80,000 gift bag in my hotel room. Okay? That's where I was. Last night, many people. Fucking log cabin. Ben Salem. Ben Salem. I'm guessing Dustin Hoffman wasn't there. No, it was. It's just, you, this, only this business, you know, can you be from here to here in the blink of an eye? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, Whatever. I'm just holding you guys because I don't want to go upstairs and talk to my wife. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I actually started, uh, sadly enough, I started in Ben Salem at the uh, at the old comedy cabaret on uh, Roosevelt Boulevard. Oh. That was uh, that was the uh, that was that was my first open mic. And it was uh, it was everything you could dream it would be. 
he is such a douchebag. I was doing, uh, <laughs> I, I was doing after years, like when I first started, I used to work from him. They were so, I would call his office, Andy's office. I was probably five years into the bit. And I goes, Andy there. And the lady would answer the phone. I goes, Andy there. She goes, let me check. I go, what do you think he's up on the roof? You can't just turn to your <laughs> I go, I don't know of any fucking business where an employee doesn't know if their boss is there or not. I go, take a look. Look, see if, you know, is he high? So that didn't work well. So, so maybe like three years ago, I did a show for him at that place you're talking about, I think. Was it yeah, like, there's Northeast, and then there's the one in Doylestown that's up well, above no, the yeah, let me, was, Mexican place. Was it yeah. Northeast? It yeah. Like an industrial area type or whatever. Yeah. 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 Was, and there was, and I, I've done this before. This was the second time I did it. There was maybe, I don't know how many people. It was fucking depressing. Yes. Yeah. So I ordered eight pizzas from Domino's, and I served everybody pizza during the show. You oh, know, that's great. Somebody yeah. just told me that story about you. I did that in Allentown too. Somebody, I can't. Oh God, this is going to drive me. Somebody was just telling Bob me a Bono, story. Bob DeBono was Bob DeBono. That's was who told me. Yes, I just did a weekend with Bob, and he yeah. was he was telling me about you ordering pizzas for the crowd and it being one of the funniest things he ever saw. Yeah, I put it on the table and I had him just go get a slice or two. So I, I worked for him there, and that wasn't. Then he put me in Doyle's hand, and I was doing a door deal, so I would get fifty percent. So I guess whatever I did the first time there. Then I came in the second time and it's still depressing. Even though it's a comedy, it's still depressing because he is so like I was talking about comedy. You know, I was talking about, I swear to God, this is a guy who's been in the business for over 30 years. And I go, yeah, I doing this room up in a uh, doing levity up in the mall. He goes, there's comedy clubs in malls. Yeah, where the fuck have you been? You <laughs> really said that, and I'm not lying. So I'm going, are you that disconnected? You know, I mean, how many times can you use Terry Gillespie? So, <laughs> oh, uh, that guy. Aside of Hollywood. So, so then I do Doyle's Town for the second time. And I didn't, Saturday, the numbers were good. You know, I followed Kevin Lee, a nice guy. He does, I think, impressions and magic. You know, the the juggling or whatever. Yeah. Nice guy. I know, you know, and I go on and then Saturday he goes, you know, can you do this or that? My audience, I shut up. So, you know, let's say, let's just say after a door deal, I walked out, which is bad money for me, but let's say I walked out for 1200. Let's say, let's just say out of two shows, bare minimum, 120 people, 50%, 12, let's just say that. He's used to paying his headliners like 200, you know, 300. Oh, yeah. For headline, yeah. You know, easily. So uh, I call him a year later. I, you know, I write to him. He doesn't get back to my call. And I go, how come you not got back to me? Can we rebook? I mean, even though I hated it, it was only 45 minutes or an hour from my house. Right. You know, in a car, no plane. You know, I'd rather make 1500 bucks and get on a plane, you know, it's the, yeah. back then before the pandemic, that's a shit weekend, but still, you know, it's local. I come home. 
So he says, nah, he goes, listen, uh, I don't think you're right. I can't, you know, I can get, I have too many other acts, which he's paying 200 bucks, you know, for you. Yeah. And I said to him, I go, this is the best thing you could ever say to me is not using me. <laughs> for me, you turning me down is, is, is good. Cause if you, you know, I go, this can only help me. And, and I thanked him for not using me. Him in his room. So then that guy, Terry, his right hand man, I don't even know if he still does comedy. I, and I don't like fighting with comics on online because yeah. 90%. I, and I'm not, it's not ego. It's, you know, I'm not going to fight with Chris Rock. He's not going to, but any comic I fight with, I feel like I'm punching down. I feel like, you know, and he, he said something that I, political. And then, you know, a real, oh, yeah. a real Trumpy. He was, I think he's a yeah. real. Oh, God, yeah. So, so, he moved, so he, he, I don't know if he retired or whatever, but he moved to Florida a couple of years ago from what I heard yeah. and is just in insane, just insane yeah. when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So he said, and I said something, you know, whatever, anti-Trump or, you know, whatever. Then he writes back, oh, at least... Oh, at least I don't have walkouts. And I let, it go <laughs> I let it go at that. I said something, you know, clever about politics and content. I didn't really beat him up. Yeah. You know, because, you know, whatever. Plus, I heard he was sick at one point. I don't know. Uh, yeah, I, 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 wait, wait, when wait. I when I started in, yeah, I started, you know, fifteen years ago. I started in at at the comedy cabaret doing those open mics and all, and then they booked me in Cherry Hill. I was the cedar, you know, so they pay me twenty five bucks. I'd set up the, sir, you know, clean the syrup off of the tables from the brunch from that day, and then <laughs> yeah. set up and seat everybody. And uh, so they booked me every Saturday night. I was there every Saturday night. They give me like a ten minute spot, and I seat. And the first month that I was there, that I was ever working at a comedy club, it was declared Terry Gillespie month and headlined every Saturday night. So my first four weekends of comedy, <laughs> Terry Gillespie do what Terry Gillespie does. And I'm, I, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm still here. Well, but yeah, it's so funny because I got along with them years and years ago. I always got, I mean, I, I didn't have too many enemies really, you know, I mean, I was an asshole as I got, you know, more into the business, you know, just fucking with comics and people would say, Oh, I heard you were such an asshole, you know, just your, yeah, well, you're thin skin, but I always got along with Terry, but whatever I said, maybe to Andy or anti-Trump, you know, he got very, upset of and i didn't i just i really made him look stupid without really beating him up and then shoemaker calls me and goes look that was great what you posted although your punctuation is horrific and you're, you know, <laughs> and you're stung, I go, he goes, so i can't really stand up for you on this post because of your lack of uh because you misplaced a comma uh, yeah, well, that's, I mean, you know, I don't really end sentences too well. Uh, but, you know, down in Philly, he, he was a big booker at one time. He had a oh, lot yeah. of rooms. He had a lot of rooms. But he was never a nice guy, to, to me, at least. And he you know, he always did the same shitty comics. What's that guy's name? Pat. He used to look like he had eyeliner on. O'Donnell, was it, or something? 
Pat oh, Pat O'Donnell, yeah. But there were some really funny fucking guys, you know. Uh, oh, uh, uh, Coach Chris Kosho was fucking really fucking funny. Coach is great. Coach is the first guy who took me on the road years ago. Yeah. Coach is hilarious. Uh, the, I mean, the Wid's still down here. I still, yeah. I, I can never get enough of the Wid. I just love, I just love that guy so much. Yeah. yeah he, he he started up in Jersey. He lived in uh like Clark area. Um, like you know, uh, Jimmy Carroll was a funny guy back then. I know he was from that area. I think I know it was some funny guy. Yeah. Chris was one of the funniest. Mike Sacone. Yeah. All these guys were from Philly. They were great comics. And Philly had tons of rooms, and 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 Andy had all the outside fucking rooms, you know. And he was a douchebag, and he, and, uh, you know, I don't, I didn't want to go after him too much because he got sick at one point. He, there was something wrong with him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, so, you know, I see him on Facebook. His, I think his daughter had a baby. When I got married, you know, good for him. There's no reason to, you know, kick a guy when he's down. I mean, when you're biggest room seats 20 people and you know when you're in the business 15 years and you end up doing a podcast with ken Cranch, you don't want to say hey <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe go out and spread your wings you know because so am I. Well, i'm doing a podcast with you too you know i'm in the same boat yeah. but when, when i close this computer <laughs> this is all in the past <laughs> well thank you uh, so I, I guess we should say uh, by the way uh, listeners next week uh, we'll be doing the band The Knack uh, with guest Terry Gillespie so uh, definitely uh, <laughs> yeah. why don't you guys do uh, uh, Bon Jovi and try to get uh, uh, Dave oh yeah we could probably have her have him and uh, Gabby come in we could probably do that. Yeah. Uh, he's such a nice guy. He's a very nice guy. You know, uh, and don't listen, don't email anybody and go, oh, we had Voss. You know, because people e email me to do their fucking podcast and they go, oh, we had Don Jameson and Gino Bisconti. Oh, really? <laughs> How did you get them? Wow. What a fucking dick that is. <laughs> All right. I'll see you clowns. All right. Thanks All right. for doing this, Rich. Thanks for doing it, Rich. All right. All right. Well, uh, that was Rich Voss. Chip, do you have anything to plug? Uh, if uh, if you listen to this Saturday night, uh, I'm doing a show on Zoom with my friends, Mary Rudzinski, David James, and James Heskey. Uh, that, that's March 20th. We are uh, doing, uh, doing a show on Zoom. You can check me out at Chip Chantry on any of the social medias, and you can find out uh, about that. So, uh, yeah. How about you, Kenneth? I have... Um... What do I have coming up? Um, March 31st and April 1st. I, I guess I can announce this because by the time it comes out, they'll already have announced it. But um, I'm headlining Laugh It Up Poughkeepsie uh, nice. for, for their grand reopening. Um, oh, that's great. They opened where the old bananas is in Poughkeepsie. So oh. now, now I think it's like a 500 seater. And oh, they, great, yeah, they're, um, I did, I was their last weekend. I was their last show before COVID shut them down. And okay. now, now they're reopening in a brand was new location. Was it COVID or was it you? <laughs> <laughs> they're so funny there. They, um, I have walked so many people in Poughkeepsie. I cannot believe that, uh, this club 
uses me and loves me as much. Like I'm so <laughs> I'm so lucky. The last time I was there and walked people, the club owner told me that he was going to start bonusing me on the amount of people who stayed. Oh, that's <laughs> yeah, like yeah, you usually get a bonus for drawing people in. He he yeah. said he would just you're give just, me a bonus just, if, if I could just keep who was there. Retention, <laughs> the, the retention deal, the Ken Kranz retention deal. So, but they're um, I'm doing their grand reopening uh, April 31st, one show, and then May 1st, two shows, Friday and Saturday. They're recording wait, it. Say Mar- wait, wait, didn't you say March? 3rd I did. So I should I should know my yeah. So I I fucked that up. It is actually I wasn't even right the second time. Here's how bad I am at self-promotion. Okay, it's, good. It's April 30th, Friday, one show, and May 1st, Saturday, two shows. They're recording. They're recording all the shows. They're setting up like a four-camera shoot. I'm gonna be taping. Oh, that's great, dude. I'm taping my new album, and then they're gonna they're gonna shoot it like uh I'm saying they're shooting it like a special. Um it's I, yeah. I know it isn't a special, but they're gonna well, shoot it like one, so I'm excited. Yeah. That's but great, I, I don't think tickets are on sale yet, but I'll be plugging the shit out of that as, as we go along. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, great, this man. was we us. We sort of talked about the New York Dolls. Yeah, for, it was fun. For I a little people bit. came and listened. I mean, we, it's you have Voss here. I just want to let him talk about uh, everything he's in and all the bands he saw. So, you know, we we, we hit the New York Dolls, but uh, hopefully uh, people found it uh, fun and interesting. And make sure you hit us up on um, on Twitter at uh, Rock and Roll Pod. Rock and roll pod at rock and roll pod and uh, let us know what you think. And again, let us know if you have any bands or any acts that you think we should, any topics we should do. Uh, definitely let us know. Yep. All right, Chip. All right, Ken. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.